When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Analysts Inside Cricket, this podcast brought to you by IG Trading and Investments, Simon Hughes in Calcutta and Simon Mann in Chennai. Uh, We've both been watching England's demise against Sri Lanka and that's the reason why there was no cheery music, cheery theme music to the start of this podcast. It seemed inappropriate, Simon, to play the commentary of England's great winning moments (laughs) because... Today was a a sad losing moment and uh, as a result of their desperate, I think, disgraceful performance with the bat against Sri Lanka, England now have a 4% chance of making the semi-finals and to me, with their performances now, four out of five losses, they don't even deserve a 4% chance of making the semi-finals, to be honest. How do you see it? Well, I'm not sure how that's worked out, the 4% chance, but, I mean, to me, they've got no chance. Four thrashings lead to a World Cup funeral. I think that just about sums it up for England. I mean, the nature of their defeats, I mean, have been extraordinary. We, we talked about this a little bit on Saturday, didn't we, that they've you know, been hammered by South Africa. They've now been absolutely obliterated by Sri Lanka, who haven't played that much good cricket in this tournament so far. They've been you know, OK at times. They, they pushed Australia for a little bit. They challenged Pakistan. Mind you, Pakistan have been that good themselves. But, they, I mean, they lost the game. The game lasted for 59 overs in all. It, it, absolutely woeful uh, batting performance for England, and once they were bowled out for 156, you know, good luck, good luck trying to defend that. The lowest score ever recorded in a one-day international at Chinnaswamy Stadium in Bengaluru. Yeah, and uh, 156 was just never going to be enough. So obviously, the post-mortems have already begun. Uh, lots of people on Twitter kind of saying, you know, sack the lot of them and you know, <laughs> they, they could have read the writing on the wall months ago. Actually, it's come as a surprise to us, really, hasn't it? I mean, maybe we were deluded, but it has come as a surprise to us that England had been this bad. I mean, neither of us thought they were automatic choices for the semi-final, but semi-finals, but, but we thought they would compete and they haven't competed. They've won one game against Bangladesh when they played pretty well. But other the other games have been big margins of of defeat, uh, including the one against Afghanistan, and they just feel like it's, they just feel like they're playing cricket from a kind of previous era. And, and actually, you know, I think the thing that so so lots of people have said, well, is it because they're all the team are over thirty in this game? Well, no, well, no, not really. I, I mean, you know, they're experienced players, so they shouldn't be making kind of elementary mistakes. I I think that the, the principle fault and it's nothing to do with uh you know the, st- the the structure of county cricket or the the neglect of 50 over cricket and all that you know these guys have played 50 over and 20 over cricket and world champions in the last two years four years ago for the 50 over and a year ago for the 20 over so they're an elite group of players i just think they haven't adapted to the conditions uh, poor choices uh, at the start for on the toss a couple of times at least and I just don't think they've adapted to the conditions. And today, a great example today, that pitch was not easy. 
It was doing little bit. The Sri Lankans were bowling well. They were fielding well. But the batsmen just didn't adjust. They tried to play their old game. Go harder is all they seem to say. And sometimes you need to be go smarter. Just adapt to the conditions. It was not an easy pitch to just try and flay it everywhere. As the Sri Lankans demonstrated themselves. You know, they had a, a, a few issues early on. They got to grips with the, the pace of the pitch and the bounce and played appropriate shots. Hardly any of the England dismissals were appropriate shots. They were just gung-ho shots, bludgeoning the ball on a pitch which wasn't suitable for that kind of approach. Yeah, you've got to play cannier cricket, I think. It's just, you know, go hard or go harder. That, that, that's not the way to, to play the whole time. It is some of the time it's really flat and you've got the opposition down. I quite, actually quite like the way South Africa have gone about it. They've got confidence in their, their strong top six. And what they do is they don't go really hard at the start. They build a base and then they go hard. And I thought England you know, could have done that today. It was just wickets frittered away again. I, I think only David Milan was got out. And yet he was got out by a guy who hasn't taken a one-day international wicket for three years in Angela Matthews. He picked up a a couple of wickets. I mean, some really soft dismissals, a couple of run-outs as well. I mean, the run-out of Adil Rashid, I mean, those who haven't seen it, go and have a look at it. It it sort of summed it up. It was, you know, the game was gone probably by then. But he was at the non-striker's end. The ball had gone down the leg side and the wicket-keeper just saw he was loitering out of his ground and hurled the ball at the stumps. Not immediately, hurled the ball at the stumps at the non-striker's end. Adil Rashid didn't quite sense the danger and was run out. And then there was that you know, run out of the, near the start of the innings as well between uh, Joe Root and Johnny Bairster, which we'll come to in just a moment. The thing is, it all started quite well for England, didn't it? I and mean, they were playing OK. 45 for no wicket, midway through the seventh over, and then Angela Matthews uh, gets his wicket. And then England just collapsing then, losing all 10 wickets for you know, just over 100 runs. I, I, uh, you, you, you talk about, some people say, oh, it's, this is England playing cricket like they used to play at old World Cups. I don't totally agree with that because I think they were really passive at old World Cups. You know, they were almost their, their tactics were, were sort of behind the game, if you like. Now they've sort of now they're sort of almost in overdrive too often, and they I think they need to sort of rein themselves back in a little bit and just assess and, and see the danger a, a bit more. Anyway, it's gone now. I mean, it, it, this World Cup is over for England just about, and they, the, the problem for them is they're going to have to stay here to the 11th of November because that's their last group match against Pakistan. I mean, that, that could be a game which both sides have got absolutely nothing uh, to play for. You know, you think a big game in Calcutta between England and Pakistan might be you know, dead as anything. Uh, so that, you know, that's, that, in a way, that's your punishment for playing so ineptly at times and, and making some really poor decisions. A couple of things to, to, to sort of add to that. I, I mean, I've been watching England at practice, and I, I totally agree with you about this this sort of gung ho, this uh, this go harder approach, which I think is flawed. And it's you see it in the nets, like Bairstow when he's batting in the nets. I've watched England practice two or three times, and all they do is what well, Bairstow does is try and whack every ball. I've stood behind the net. And I've watched them, you know, and they're throwing with the with the you know the, the the side arm, the dog thrower thing. There's some bowlers bowling, and he just tries to hit every ball for four or six. I, I hard, I don't think I've seen him block one. And uh, a little bit the same is true of Ben Stokes. Whenever Ben Stokes goes in the nets, he just tries to belt it for six. And in, in Mumbai, uh, I, I I said this on our last podcast in Mumbai the day before the game against South Africa. 
every batsman, all they tried to do was whack it into the stands from the, the, the net sessions were in the middle there. Most grounds, obviously, they have a separate net area. In Mumbai, the nets are on the middle. And they just tried to whack it into the stand. It was like range hitting. It was, like, it was a bit like being on a golf driving range. They're just raining white balls into the stands. Well, you know, it's just they need to be a bit measure an innings a bit more and Bairstow's shot today you know he was obviously a bit angry he was getting frustrated so he tried to sort of muscle the ball for four he would have been better off just working it around for a bit and getting used to the pace of the pitch and then you can play those shots later so, so there was something the Rashid uh, dismissal interestingly the run out funny typical of Sri Lanka actually to be quite sort of smart and opportunistic and it reminded me of um, a, a, a wicketkeeper I played with in Sri Lanka, Russell Harmer, he was called, and he was in the Sri Lankan national side before they were a test-playing country, actually. And, you know, he said to me one day, I was playing in a, a, a Maharaja's eleven in uh, the Saranvamuti Stadium or somewhere, you know, some one of the Colombo grounds, the Sara Stadium. And he said to me, well, we couldn't get a wicket for a few overs. And he said to me, next over run up and bowl a half volley down the leg side, third ball. So I thought, well, that's a bit of an odd plan because it was an easy one to hit. He said, no, go on, stick with it. And I ran in to bowl the third ball of that over. And, I, and as I ran in halfway through my run, I saw him sneaking up to the stumps from a position of about 15 yards back. I, I wondered what he was doing. But anyway, I, he told me to bowl this half volley down the leg side, so I did. As, it, as, a, as I let go of the ball, he was pretty much up to the stumps. And the ball went down the leg side. The batsman overbalanced, trying to flick it away, and missed it. He took it with one hand and whipped the bales off. It's my only ever stumping. Um, it, it, so it, they just have a sort of different way. Sri Lankans have a different way of approaching cricket, as we've seen with the likes of Murali and Malinga. And they come up with some unusual, uh, you know, slightly quirky cricketers. And that was just an inspired piece of cricket, I thought. The wicketkeeper took the ball down the leg side. Kusal Mendis, he sort of considered his options, noticed Rashid was wandering out of his ground, hurled it down the other end, knocked the stump down and ran him out. Brilliant. Dozy cricket yeah. by England. And it's been dozy cricket by England almost throughout. It was almost encapsulated their World Cup campaign. Yeah, it's actually hard to know which defeat was more humiliating in a way. I mean, South Africa really did a number on them on Saturday in Mumbai, didn't they? I mean, that, that was humiliating, you know, rack up close to 400 and then, you know, roll you out. I mean, it, it, if it wasn't for that late flurry involving Mark Wood, you know, that, that defeat would have been of the same magnitude of Australia's victory against uh, Netherlands, which followed a, a few days later. England bowled out in the World Cup for under 200 in successive matches for the first time. I mean, it looks like everyone is, is short of confidence. All the batters are short of confidence, aren't they? I mean, someone like Joss Butler, you expect him to try and sort of lead you out of a, of a problem. You know, he's you know, a class player, a very experienced player, averaging only 21 in this World Cup and getting out in the same way time after time. That ball outside the off stump hung out there, trying to force it. You know, found the edge through to the keeper, and it was and he was he was another one who came in quite sort of bristling, didn't he? He was trying to not you know he was what eight from six balls, and you're trying to score quickly. But you're you're right. It just seems just have a look for a bit, and but it's not in their in their way. 
Mm. I mean, I would talk about you know preparation a little bit. You know, they they and you know talk about the expectations around this England side coming into this World Cup. You know, they, they were expected to make the semi-finals based on you know the fact they're double world champions and you know they've got some good players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know they've had a 50% win record since the last World Cup and they haven't played that much to, together. They haven't built. They haven't actually really built a team. This is not the team of 2019. That's the other point as well. It's a different team. You know, there are five players missing from 2019 so they haven't had a chance to build a team and when they when they have played they haven't been that successful actually and I think these are tougher conditions for for an England team aren't they coming to India the subcontinent they they generally speaking find it quite challenging here even though they played IPL their record in India against India has been really poor in one day cricket for years and years and years we actually covered England's one-day series uh, in India in 2017. It was one of our early podcasts, wasn't it? And uh, you know, at last, England did manage to compete mm. in that series, but they hadn't done in previous years in India. And this last cycle, the last year or so, they've now ranked fifth in the world, aren't they? And that's you can see why, really, because they haven't found a consistent uh, run of form. That They haven't actually had consistent selection. Uh, so because of the... The changes because of things like test series ending and then suddenly moving into a one-day series, they haven't been able to call on all their uh, top teams. So they've been mixing around with with different permutations of players. And I think one of their problems was getting here and not knowing what their best eleven was. You know, they left out Jason Roy only t- sort of ten days before they got out here and decided on David Milan as their as their opening partner for. For Johnny Bairstow and just things like that, you know, being uncertain what your best bowling attack is and all that. Obviously, Jofra Archer, the spectre of him is hovering around, which has now gone away. And I'm told actually that the only reason he was here was because he was being paid by the the Mumbai Indians to, to do some ambassadorial work for for Mukeshembani and his his troop, rather than actually being a likely a potential replacement for an injured player. So you know, there were just sort of stuff that that was wasn't coming. It wasn't coming together in the same way as it did in 2019, where they knew their best team. Obviously, Jofra Archer came in as a sort of late addition, an X-factor player. But other than that, they had a very sort of settled lineup. And I did say, before the first match, I said it's yeah. really important that England start well against New Zealand in that first game, get that sort of settled feeling about the team. They got absolutely shellacked by New Zealand by nine wickets and they've stumbled around ever since. Uh, so, so there's been no cohesion. No, and, and what what does it mean now for the, this team? Well, you mentioned earlier that for the first time ever in a World Cup, a team, is, a team of over 30-year-olds, it's the first time that's ever happened in a World Cup. It's happened twice in... What uh, one day internationals outside of a World Cup, it probably means the end of a few careers, doesn't it? In terms of of, of one day international cricket, uh, you think of someone like David Milan, who's actually been very successful in in recent years. So you know he's had a sort of a late flowering of his international career, but he's thirty six. You know, is he going to be playing in the next World Cup? No, you you think not. I mean, you know, players do play quite late these days. You think of Jimmy Anderson, but is David Milan still going to be playing at forty in the next World Cup? Probably not. Chris Wokes, 34, you know, Moen, for example, who, I, I don't know, he just doesn't look on it, does he? It was, a, it was a poor shot today that he got out to. Got out to Angela Matthews. Okay, that bounced a little bit. He just guided it straight to backward point. He just looked such a tame dismissal. Even Adil Rashid, who's their, you know, their main spinner out here, 
35 years of age. So, you know, there's a, there are a few players, aren't there, for whom this might well be, you know, their last, well, in the next few weeks, next couple of weeks, their last one-day internationals because, you know, you're going you're gonna to have to revamp the team, aren't you? You're going to have to rejuvenate and find something different for South Africa, Namibia and, and Zimbabwe in four years' time. Yeah, and I, I don't think Livingston is the right person for a 50. I think, I think he's a brilliant T20 cricketer. Mm. I just don't think he can sustain an innings. Uh, I think he's too high at number six. Uh, I don't think he's right for, for 50 over cricket. I think, uh, and, he, and his bowling isn't up to it either. You know, he bowled one good spell in, in one of the games, but overall, that was against Bangladesh, but, but overall, I feel he's overexposed at number six. Every batsman in that sort of lower order is one place too high. I'd rather have Stokes coming in at five and Butler at six, as they were in the World Cup in 2019. But everything's got, because of Morgan's uh, retirement, everybody's been shunted up a place. So it, it just looks, it doesn't look as formidable a side, and their record hasn't been very good either in the last couple of years. So let's just quickly take a look at the turning point in today's game. How did Sri Lanka make more of the moments that mattered? This is a segment brought to you by IG. And I guess it was the Joe Root run out, which I think was was coming in a way because they'd looked, Bairstow and Root, a little uncertain between the wickets in previous overs. There was one near miss where one of the batsmen, I've forgotten which, I think it was Bairstow, only just made his ground and there was some uncertainty in the calling. And I just felt that they didn't quite have that sort of harmony, that telepathic understanding, which you sort of identify with with teams playing well. Often it's hesitancy in the running, which is a sign of a team being uncertain of itself. And there was a route hit one to backward point. It was Bairstow's call. I think he did call. It looks as if he called. He started to run from the non-striker's end. And then Root wasn't sure if he was, was Bairstow was sure. So there was a hesitancy. And Bairstow sort of started, stopped, started again, then said no, too late. Root turned and was run out, drive, trying to dive back in. And it just, to me, encapsulated England's general uncertainty as a team. They don't know what their best team is. They don't know how to play. And they, they're, just, they're just playing bad cricket. <laughs> and that was a great, great example. And of course, after that, the, the innings, apart from Stokes's attempts to try and rescue it, the, the innings faltered and eventually folded with 17 overs left to use. Pathetic. Yeah, it was. It was extraordinary. 17 overs left. I mean, it wasn't a terrible pitch or anything like that. On the run out, I mean, I don't think there was a run there, was there? And it's, it's, it's interesting, actually. Sometimes there's a batter at the striker's end. You sort of, you almost offer the run to the non-striker you say well look, I'm interested you know there's a bit of you're right there's a bit of telepathic communication isn't there but what it needed was a very clear call straight away really from Johnny Bairstow yes or no it was a it was a real a really bad mix-up you know suddenly your best player or one of your best players is, is on their way and, and that undermines a team's confidence and yeah Butler was out soon afterwards as well. Livingston, Moan Alley. I mean, it, it just went so quickly. Suddenly, it was seventy-seven for four when Butler was out uh, after being forty-five for no wickets. I think that was a really key moment in England's innings today. And you know, fr- from then on, 
there was that you know Sri Lanka totally dominated uh, the match and um, just to make the point as well this is not a great uh, Sri Lankan side they've not had a particularly good World Cup themselves um, but today you know they're like world beaters didn't they England made them look like world beaters I mean to lose about eight wickets with what 25 overs to go I mean that is an absolute hammering it's funny isn't it in, in World Cups how England have really struggled against Sri Lanka even when they've not been uh, that good they weren't that great in England last time were they particularly but Sri Lanka turned them over at Headingley uh, by 20 runs in that game. I was actually they they put they were showing the highlights of this ma- that match on the television and I watched it. And I was I was trying to re- remember how England managed to mess up a chase of 233. Again, it wasn't a great pitch, but again there was I thought there were some dozy shots played. You know, massive shots played when they didn't need to be. This idea, oh you've got to go hard, go harder, harder, harder the whole time. You know, players caught on the boundary when they. It just they just didn't need to. They they had loads of time left to get the runs, but it was it was just all about wickets. You toss wickets away, just play into the opponent's hands. Jinxed by Angelo Matthews again. He got eighty-five <laughs> in that game in twenty nineteen. He did. And here he was coming back into the Sri Lanka side as an addition. He wasn't in the original squad. He's come in today, he took the first wicket, bowling his little medium paces, which looked totally innocuous. And he had like you two bowling for 14. Yours. It wasn't like me bowling. He had two for 14. He got Milan out, caught behind. He got the run out as well of Root, didn't he? At backward point, he was the yeah. guy that fielded it. Uh, he didn't even. He hadn't. He didn't have to come into bat today. <laughs> they didn't need him with the bat. But there's something about him. There's something about him on the field which seems to kind of put England off, distract them in some way. He's quite a provocative sort of character. Very talented cricketer, obviously. And again. He had an influence uh, in, in, in the run out of route, which eventually ended England's hopes of any kind of score. So this segment's brought to you by IG. If you'd like to make more of the opportunities to invest yourself, IG gives you access to thousands of global shares and ETFs, as well as a range of educational guides and daily market analysis. Go to IG.com investments to find out more. And remember, when investing, your capital is at risk. So, Simon, you know, I think we should draw a veil over England's performance today. And after the break, we'll talk about the other interesting matches that we've seen over the last few days and a little bit about our exploits in India too. Okay, so South Africa... They are the form team, aren't they? And having absolutely hammered England, they gave a, they dished out a pretty severe performance against Bangladesh as well. I was at that game in Mumbai. The air quality was slightly better. Uh, it wasn't as hot as when England decided to field first on Saturday. But the South Africans were immense with the bat. And yeah, you, you mentioned about uh, the, the, you know, the approach they make. Quinton de Kock, he... He, he made 174, absolutely magnificent innings. Notable that, just like Clarsen in England's game, he didn't come out and field afterwards. Uh, so there's a trend here, isn't there? Batsmen who get big hundreds manage to stay off the field. And, of course, he's a keeper as well. So Clarsen and he are sort of taking it in turns to, to keep wicket when one of them's off the field. But, uh, the, actually, Quinton de Kock didn't expend a lot of energy in that innings. I mean, he hit, I can't remember how many sixes, but... He certainly hit about seven or eight sixes. And seven sixes and 15 fours, it was. Yeah, and, and he 
he had a he has a lovely touch, doesn't he? He doesn't you know, absolutely muscle the ball. He strokes it and, and caresses it and hits it so cleanly. And his sixes all came in all directions, some over mid-wicket. He's got an amazing ability to pick up a ball not that short and sort of flick it and uh, help it away over deep square leg. But he played a brilliant reverse sweep for six. Uh, he hit stuff over cover. A couple of near Yorkers he managed to hit for six. So did Clarsen, by the way. There's nowhere to bowl to Clarsen at the moment except the wide Yorker right on the crease line is about the only place you can stop him scoring. He's in immense form. And they just absolutely blitzed South Africa. But from a nice, crisp start, it wasn't excessive. It was a smooth opening. Uh, they built up a good partnership. And then uh, Klaassen applies the sort of the, uh, the, the, thunder, the thunderbolts at the end. And uh, they, they, got, you know, they got totally out of range of, of Bangladesh. And it was a bit of an academic run chase in the end. It was slightly annoyingly, um, I say annoyingly, Marmadulla got 100. And there is a, you know, he played well, but it was all irrelevant, really. And so there was a lot of sort of irritation actually watching that at the end because they had no hope of winning. We were only here to celebrate someone's personal milestone, mm. which just seemed a bit, it was just annoying, actually. But I suppose great for Mamadullah. Yeah, it's difficult to know what you do in that situation. You know, score 100 or, Play or not. Play a few shots, have a go, have a well, go, entertain the crowd. Yeah, well, he scored 111 off 111 balls. I mean, just on South Africa, you know, that just very quickly, uh, and we'll move on, that point about them building a base. They In the 31st over, when Markram was out, they had 167 on the board. And then from there on, in the last 20 overs, they scored over 200 runs. And Klassen is you know, so instrumental in that, 90 off 49 balls. Bangladesh, huge disappointment, aren't they? When you think of the that, that nation it's got, it's, it's cricket mad. You'd think by now that they would have made more progress, and every now and again they come up with something and they beat somebody and, and tweak someone's nose, but they just cannot get it together. And they've been as bad as England, really, in this world. In fact, England, the only team uh, to have beaten them so far. Yeah, th- those games that just that where teams do, you know, bat all their overs out but have no chance of winning are actually quite tedious. And I mean, it's been a feature of the World Cup, hasn't it, really? Oz? That you know, still no close games. I, I mean, said that I was at what I thought was a really intriguing game earlier in this week the Afghanistan win against uh, Pakistan I mean that was a another upset and you know fantastic they're an interesting team to watch Afghanistan they really are because they've got those class spinners they've got Gurbaz at the top and it, you know they are definitely worth watching and it was a fantastic victory from a wonderful occasion celebrated by their supporters that turned up you know a really unifying factor in in Afghanistan as well you know so many problems in that country and you know something to to lift them really uh, you know if cricket is able to to do that you think of the earthquake in the west of the country fabulous win it re- it really was it was a thrilling win yeah and if if there's one team that is getting you know, more criticism than England it's Pakistan you know their fans are really piling into Barbara Azam you know captain seemed poor and all that sort of stuff and you know you wonder whether he's going to survive this World Cup if Pakistan don't survive uh, to the semi-finals and they are up against it I would say I'm I'm in uh, Chennai for their match tomorrow against South Africa so we'll, we'll see the South Africans in action again and if they don't win that I mean it's going to be really tough for them to to qualify for the semi-finals as as well and you know Baba and Pakistan they're getting massive amounts of criticism mm, yeah we've seen uh, Australia start to, to pick up a bit of momentum uh, Glenn Maxwell with a dynamic 100 the fastest ever 100 in a World Cup 
that, that obviously put the Netherlands to bed. And so that you know, they're they've they've started to become a threat now. They've started to find a formula. And of course, we've also since we were last on, we've also seen India against New Zealand, which the, the New Zealand the only team to push India so far close but still not close enough. They didn't quite get enough runs. Daryl Mitchell played a, a, a great hand to get 130, but actually in the last 10 overs, the, the brilliance of uh, Jasprit Bumrah and also Mohammed Shami just stopped New Zealand. They only got 56 runs from their last 10 overs, so they should have got over 300, and that would have been a really good challenge to India. But then Rohit Sharma, Kohli, etc., just took it away from them. And uh, they do look <laughs> still... You know, in, in, India do look immense, but New Zealand have got something there. So my taxi driver, he definitely decided that the four semi-finalists at this point, obviously India, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand. That's what he thinks. But he did add Australia, cheating players, without any provocation at all. I thought you'd set him <laughs> up. I thought I saw your video of that. Yours. No, I didn't set him up. I didn't set him up. I just said. How do you feel about... I was asking him about tourists that he handles, that he takes around the place. I said, um, you know, English... You like English people? Yes, English people are good men. Uh, you like New Zealand people? Yes, England, New Zealand people are good men. Uh, Australians? He said, Australian cheaters. <laughs> cheating cheating players. I didn't, I didn't promote... I didn't prompt him or anything. So, it's, I'm afraid, you know, that kind of mud sticks, unfortunately... Well, they're looking good, Australia. They're starting to look good. They're up to fourth place in the table. It does look at this stage. I mean, there's still quite a lot that can happen. Uh, all teams have played five matches now, so four group games to go. India, you said you said South Africa are the form team. To me, you know, India are the form team. They look, they looked, they looked so strong. Hardik Pandya missing a couple of games. See how that progresses. He's an important player for them. He's not going to play against. Uh, England on Sunday with ankle ligament damage, but India, 10 points, won all their games. South Africa have won four, New Zealand have won four, and Australia have won three and, and lost two. I suppose Sri Lanka's win today you know, moves them up, gives them a bit of hope. Afghanistan are on four points as well. Pakistan are on four points. So it's up to one of those teams, really, to challenge the top four, isn't it? Sri Lanka, Pakistan, or Afghanistan to go on a, a winning streak. I mean, it would be amazing if, if Afghanistan could somehow uh, make the semi-finals. I think you know, that would be a sort of a popular uh, surge, if you like, mm. if they were able to do it. They're probably not quite good enough, but they have, I think, you know, given us a lot to admire in this World Cup. I mean, they've beaten England, they've beaten Pakistan. I mean, those are two you know, great scalps, whereas Netherlands, well, did, did really well to beat the South Africans. I mean, how they did that, you know, well, South Africa should have batted first. But really, Bangladesh, England and the Netherlands uh, have sort of stunk the place out a little bit. And, we, you know, we still haven't had... A really exciting game. On your travels, yours, you, you know, we've been travelling around, haven't we, here, there and everywhere. You had a, a dicey moment in Calcutta, didn't you, the other day? Well, I mean, it's, it's, you always do, do expect these things, don't you, actually? You, do, you expect the unexpected in India. So we're travelling from the airport uh, through to the, the centre of Calcutta. And Calcutta, actually, as a town I love. I mean, I first came here in 1980 to play this five-day match for Mike Brearley 11 against... India uh, to celebrate the Bengal Cricket Association's Golden Jubilee and it was a wonderful experience and I'm actually staying in the same hotel which I stayed in all those years ago the Oberoi Grand in Calcutta right in the centre of town with its kind of rather colonial feel to it with brass 
fittings everywhere and oak panelled doors and cor lovely corridors with chandeliers and it's all rather stylish and black and white photos on the wall of, uh, of, of sort of Maharajas from the 1890s and it, actually it's amazing isn't it because I don't know if you've ever been to this hotel but the outside is mayhem typical kind of Indian high street with lots of commotion and a market and everything going on and you go through these doors of this sort of big uh, facade of the uh, Oberoi Grand and you get into the pool area and it's like you, you're in the middle of nowhere you can't hear anything and it's like a total oasis in this you know crazy world and it's it's an amazing place to be able to relax actually uh, it's serene it's it's really sublime uh, hotel but anyway on our way here we went through the the, the fairly congested center and I, I, there was there was this um, sort of festival going on, and there were sort of there were fireworks and flares going off and stuff, and there was this funny smell. And I thought well, it's obviously the, the flares, probably the smoke from the flares or something that's, that's got into the car. And then the smell got a bit stronger, and I, I thought, well, maybe we're going through a leather area, you know, where they they that they um, you know kind of produce leather leather goods. And then it got really strong, and someone said in the back said that smells like petrol. And we stopped, and literally the petrol was pouring out the bottom of the car all over the road. Uh, absolute fire risk. So we had to abandon the car in the middle. And I actually love, I love Calcutta because it's the one place in the world where you can get wooden rickshaws which are pulled, hand-drawn you know, hand by a, a guy walking. And it's the only place they allow them now. Obviously, everywhere else you get rickshaws which are either cycle rickshaws in Delhi or the motorised version. But these ones are... Walk a walking rickshaws, and a couple of men pulling rickshaws sort of walked past us, looking at this um, lake of petrol underneath our car, and was kind of they were trying to give it the wide berth. But we did manage to get to the hotel in the end. Anyway, what about you? Well, you know, you've had a you've had a strange experience with a an odd follower, haven't you? <laughs> well, one one thing you notice about me, I mean, I'm I'm a I've become a dog lover. Um, I've got a dog, and I I, I really love being a you know dog owner now. It's great. To, you know, one thing I'm really looking forward to when I go home actually is just to walk say on Wimbledon Common in the absolute peace and quiet without any horns or without anyone, you know, any noise whatsoever. The noise of cars driving, whatever. Anyway, but the other evening we went went for a meal. Uh, actually, a restaurant that was recommended by uh, others in the in the Times, uh, in the south bit of, or further south in in Chennai. And after the meal, I was I was with um, Nikesh, who I'm co commentating here with. And I said, Let, let's walk for a bit because you know you know you have a meal. It's nice to have a sort of walk afterwards. It was a lovely balmy evening. It wasn't too hot. You know, it cools down a little bit in the evening. And this dog was following us. And you know, you're always a bit suspicious about dogs in India because you know you, there's a potential rabies threat and you know, don't get licked by a dog don't get bitten by a dog and I, in the past when I've come to India I've had rabies jabs but you know I didn't have one this time round you see it was a bit suspicious but this very nice mutt was following us and it was just trotting behind us and we were walking for about 15 minutes and then we stopped we thought well, let's get a tuk-tuk now and it stopped and it was just staring up at us and his eyes were like you know just piercing eyes looking at us imploring us I don't know what to take it home or something bring it back to the the hotel I'm staying in. I'm not sure that would have gone down particularly well but then we said I'm sorry we're gonna have to go we got into the tuk-tuk and the tuk-tuk drove off and the dog chased us in the tuk you know chased the tuk-tuk for a, you know quite a long way along the along the pavement and I, it was all broke my heart really um but you know I'm, I suppose I'm heartless enough to have left it on the street but it looked well fed enough anyway so in the end it had to give up because the tuk-tuk was you know outstripping it and the dog couldn't um, <laughs> 
run fast enough. But anyway, you just old softy. You old There we softy. go. A little sad. Exactly. Well, yeah. I am. That's a little sad now, story from the streets of Chennai. So you went into that restaurant, which I went into with with Athers, uh, the week before. Presumably, it's the same one. The one which we were promised by Dinesh Kartik, known as DK. Uh, that was the most fantastic restaurant in Chennai. Uh, food absolutely outstanding, but didn't serve alcohol. <laughs> that caused no. us out a little bit. Uh, but it was the food was brilliant. Served on a banana leaf. It was fantastic. That's right. It? Yeah, that was that was exactly the same place. And like you, yours. I mean, we did we we haven't collaborated on this story. I haven't had a drink for quite a long time. I really did fancy one, so my heart did sink a bit when they said, "Oh, there's no there's no drink." So, but anyway, the food. Uh, was really nice. Yeah, re- a- excellent food. And, um, and actually, I, you know, I think the food generally, uh, you know, I've been to India many times, as you have, and each time food's got a bit better. And now I think the food, I mean, obviously we're lucky that we're staying in, you know, nice hotels, but even outside hotels, like in the restaurant you mentioned there, the food mm. is outstanding. The food at the grounds is outstanding. Mm. Buffet curries, of all types and, and, and flavours and obviously some other options as well. But, I mean, I've just been feasting on curry for three weeks and uh, I touch wood. I'm at a nice oak, mahogany oak desk here, actually. Um, so, touch wood. I haven't had any issues at all and I've absolutely <laughs> loved it. I mean, the food has been just magnificent. Because I remember, actually, Oz, the last time you went to Calcutta, put your hands over your ears, you don't like squeamish stories here, everybody. The last time you you went to Calcutta, I had a very strong memory of this. I was starting the commentary at the front of the box. I looked at the back of the box, Oz, and you were being sick. Mm. Well, I made the mistake of uh, (laughs) going down to the Hooghly Bridge over the Great Ganges River uh, at sunrise and persuading some of the BBC colleagues to come with me mm. uh, because it is the most beautiful setting the sun coming up over the river and people kind of washing and getting ready for the day in rather dirty water it has to be said but that's what they do every day and there was a, a little man on the side road there making sugarcane juice from raw sugarcane kind of with a little machine and I said look it would be lovely just to sort of uh, celebrate the moment with a glass of sugarcane as we look at the sun rising over the Thule River and so we all had a glass of the, the sugar cane and we were all, a year, couple of hours later, we were all violently ill. And I actually had projectile vomit in the press box. Uh, so, yes, mm. it, it, it's a bad memory that. Uh, <laughs> Isha Gua actually came on that trip with us and she was ill. And Sonny Gavaskar, who of course lives out here, and he was ill as well. So it might have been a bug as much as it was the sugar cane juice. Yeah. Anyway, it was a very memorable start to our day's broadcasting. But you are such a trooper, yours. I mean, I probably would have gone back to the hotel, but you, you persisted and you, you said, I'll oh, be all right. Uh, wiped your hand over your mouth and, and off you went, still commentating. Yeah, it, it, it does, yes. I, I think the smell is probably still there in that press box. I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath to see, see what the press box is. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Right, well, with that rather unsavoury note, I think we should finish. Uh, commiserations to the uh, anybody who's was hoping that England would, would perform well in this tournament. So our next podcast will be on Sunday for England's encounter with India. We're slightly waiting um, with intrepidation for that match. Don't forget you can follow my travels on Instagram as well. Look up Cricket Analyst 1 for the latest little video of where I've been going. This episode was brought to you in association with IG Trading and Investments. And if you're thinking about investing in stocks and shares with IG, please remember your capital is at risk. 
the value of investments can go up or down. And for more information, you can go to ig.com slash investments. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you at the weekend. Bye for now. Podcast Network.